it's a big, exciting Materion world. From the cell phones in your hand to the satellites orbiting the Earth, we are all around you. Come inside Materion to meet the people and hear the stories about how we bring it all to life every single day. Join us as we talk to our subject matter experts about topics and trends that are truly changing the world. If the past 18 months of living through a global pandemic have taught us anything, it's that our society craves expectations for advancements in technologies. Technologies that are related to disease detection, prevention, and a quality of life. Today, we are going to explore an industry known as life science. Here at Materion, we support the life science industry with the -the state-of-the-art, custom-built optics and filters that help our medical professionals discover ways to improve our health. With this technology, advancements in microscopy and biophotonics, each are aiding in medical research breakthroughs. Welcome to Materion's podcast, Minds Over Materials, where we are discussing the art of life science. I am your host, Melissa Mall, and joining us today is John Firemuth, Vice President, Business Development Officer, and Dr. Stefan Gilesh, Product Manager from Materion Optics Bowsers in our Jena, Germany facility, where these two gentlemen have mastered the art of capturing, bending, and filtering light in these life science applications. Hello and welcome, John and Stefan. How are you guys? Fine. Hello, Melissa. Thank you. Hello. Wonderful. Thank you. So, John, I'm going to get started with you. Can you tell us what is the role of photonics in life science? Well, photonics uh, and optics are actually a key technology for, for a wide set of applications. And, uh, and so, just in the life science area. So, if I, if I have to sum it, up usually photonics are used to observe or detect something contactless or or by looking at it from a distance which means that the the object is not affected directly and is is a big advantage in in many life science applications Uh, at the least it's it's a benefit very common examples are are just simple optical microscopy right you use to look at cells or tissue or thermal imaging thermal cameras. If you have flown recently, so you might have seen at the airport thermal cameras that actually take your body temperature from from a distance and quite far away. So that's a a big advantage, right? You can do it kind of undercover or without touching anybody. And then there are also other other more sophisticated 3D scanning uh, applications like an intraoral scanner used in dentistry where such a scanner can create actually a very precise 3D model of your teeth that can then be processed further. So this is like the detection side of the application. If I take now a high power light source, for example, uh, like a UV light or or maybe a laser, a highly condensed laser, then I can use photonics to modify uh, tissue. Uh, For example, UV sanitizing. Uh, You take a simple UV lamp, you expose uh, your item with, with strong UV light, and it will kill and decompose all the germs on that item. <clears throat> the problem is it, it decomposes a lot of other stuff too, so depending what it's made of, it might, <laughs> might not be so good. And uh, But let's say you take a laser, so you have more control, and you can focus really uh, on, on a very small spot, then you can perform surgery 
with that laser so you could cut tissue in a very precise manner. Uh, a common example there is eye surgery, uh, so-called LASIK, where you do vision correction right, with, uh, with a laser. The last topic uh, I want to mention, which is very important, and a lot of concepts are based on is so-called fluorescence detection or fluorescence imaging. What does that mean? Basically, what you do with that is you attach a marker to a cell or a protein or, or a molecule, and you make it glow. And because you make it glow, you'll be able then to look at it or observe it, or you will be able to just create more contrast within an image and distinguish between different types of tissue or cells, bacteria, virus, etc. There's also non-imaging applications where you can use this to, uh, for DNA sequencing or a polymerase, polymerase chain reaction, right? Nowadays uh, known as PCR, which uh, most people have heard of uh, nowadays because of the COVID pandemic. Sounds like you are in so many applications ranging from thermal imaging at airports to dentist equipment for your teeth molds, all the way to stem cell research, it almost appears. That, that is wonderful to hear. And how exciting it must be to be in this career. Yeah, that's, I think that's really the, the fun part of our industry. I and mean, it's not just in life science, but the optics, it's a small industry. But it's, it's, it's all over the place. So we have to deal with all these very different kind of uh, properties and, and, and applications of the optics, which is very challenging. But at the same time, as you said, it's very interesting. So, Stefan, I'm excited to hear from you, from your perspective of this life science. Can you start to talk with us about fluorescent filters and our solution for fluorescent detection? Yes, of course. But first of all, I have to give a very short introduction what fluorescence is. Uh, fluorescence it is the effect of the substance to emit light with longer wavelengths as it was illuminated. Um, there are two different methods to creating fluorescent samples. The first one is an intrinsic fluorescence. That means the uh, object of interest itself has the fluorescence effect implemented. And another one is a labeling with an uh, uh, additional fluorescence molecule called fluorophores or fluorochromes. And therefore, the illumination light uh, was called excitation light, and the emitted light have different wavelength ranges. Fluorescence filters can be used to separate uh, both wavelength ranges. And the fluorescence filters must ensure that we have no crosstalk between the excitation and the emission channel in the setup. And therefore, we need optical filters with a high transmittance in the passband region and the deep blocking in all other wavelength ranges. Um, as the shift between the excitation and the emission range ranges should be small, we need also steep spectral edges between the passband and the blocking region. And the normal filter set consists of an excitation filter, an emission filter, and in many cases also uh, is a beam splitter used. That, that sounds so fascinating. I don't even know where to start with that. So, so can you tell us what type of applications these filters are used in? There are a lot of examples for using of these filters. The first of all, uh, John F. Tolsey's is a PCR detection 
uh, that means the uh, detection of COVID-19 infections. But you can also fluorescence filters for blood inspection, means uh, for uh, the monitoring of the glucose level in the blood. You can use fluorescence filters for measurement uh, oxygen in liquids that is necessary for uh, environmental control in water network systems. Um, then you have a chance to detect organic parts in paintings, like uh, in uh, car paintings, to checking the agent re resistance. And uh, also in the microscopy, as John told, you have a chance to inspection, for instance, living cells uh, that uh, allows us to have a better understanding of microbiological processes. Certainly. Uh, did we did we discuss what are some current developments in microscopy? Um, one of these development is the super resolution microscopy uh, that allows us to break the diffraction limit in the light. That means now we can see details smaller than the wavelengths as the inspected light has. For example, in a normal microscope, we are, uh, we are not able to separate structures smaller than 530 nanometers within the illumination of green light. But now we are able uh, to see structures smaller than uh, 530 nanometers, for instance, uh, also at 300 nanometers. That's a huge step for inspection of cell structure. And our filters for fluorescence detection supports that development with high performance like uh, deeper blocking and steeper spectral edges. Another development is the use of linear variable filters in the microscopy. These have a special effect to shift the spectral edges uh, with shifting of the illumination area over the filter surface. With normal fluorescence filters, you are limited to exact one specific spectral passband for the excitation and another for the emission filter. If you need to inspect with other spectral bands, you have to change the fluorescence filter set. With linear variable filters, you are able to adapt your device with shifting the filters in your optical channel by hand or motorized. Therefore, you are more flexible and faster in your inspection process. Of course, we are also offer linear variable filters and uh, are able to adapt our existing solutions to the customer's need. And, and you did say you are in business development. So I assume you reach out to all of your customers and follow up with them on their experience with all of your product mixes. And that just must be so fulfilling to know that you are making such an impact out in the global community. So I have to say, um, as you guys stated, you're, you build custom state-of-the-art optics and filters. So where do you see this technology trending towards in the future? So John, let's get started with you. What do you think some of these trends are? Well, they're actually kind of similar with, with some uh, mega trends that we see in other industries. Or to put it another way, uh, some trends that we see in other industries, uh, they kind they kind of swap over to to life science. So one thing is digitalization, right? So using like uh, artificial intelligence, uh, cloud computing, etc. Uh, it's it's used in industrial and consumer applications, and more and more also uh, people find very 
good applications in the life science uh, domain. <clears throat> and as also everywhere else, devices are shrinking, so they become portable or even wearable and uh, uh, more powerful. So I think a good example for, for digitalization is the, the example I, I mentioned before, the intraoral scanner. You have to imagine that as like a, a basically an oversized toothbrush with a, with a camera at the tip or a lens at the tip instead of your brush. And what the dentist then does, he, he puts it into your mouth and scans your, your jaw, right? Uh, with a high precision. And so already that, if I just stop there, that's just great improvement. You know, remember the days, you know, you have this, this mold or this, this uh, sticky thingy up your, up your jaw to, to take the yeah. imprint. I mean, I just, I, I'm scared of it still now. <laughs> and uh, so, so already just that, you know, without anything else, I think major improvement. Uh, of course, it's, it's probably, uh, it, it's uh, much more expensive to, to have this uh, scanner just on its own instead of the, the, the sticky thingy. Sorry, my English is limited. So, but I think you know what I'm talking about. And now imagine within a couple of minutes, the dentist has a complete 3D model an electronic 3D model of your teeth. And instead of sending this imprint that has to dry to the lab, and then the lab making sort of, you know, like the form of it to, 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 to copy the shape of your teeth and then start working on the, there with the implants. What happens now is the dentist can just wire your file directly to the lab. And if they're very advanced, they, uh, they probably need to do some editing time, you know, some corrections, but basically they can either 3D print or, or, or with a 3D CNCing machine, they just fabricate uh, the fitting part, uh, whatever the pros um, prosthetics or, or maybe the brace or whatever is needed according to that uh, electronic file. So it saves a lot of time, a lot of uh, cost, time is always cost, right? And the only thing that's yeah. been actually shipped around is then the, the final part that needs to go back into the mouse. And before it was like, you know, an imprint or, yeah, it was like several stuff going back and forth and it took like weeks. And now technically uh, it takes a couple of days. I think it's even going in a direction where the dentist could have a 3D printer in his own uh, clinic and do it right away for maybe simple things. So I think this is a really nice example where we're moving into a direction which, you know, actually we are from online shopping uh, we are used to this kind of things already because we, we use them every day without even knowing. Artificial intelligence, I mean, if we do online shopping, it's just all over the place. Uh, but it almost takes longer to go into industry or, or life science. But, but we see that. And as, as photonics enables sort of simplification uh, and, and collecting a lot of data, so that's why uh, you we think we're in a good spot because we can provide the on the filter side the components for those and the intro scanner is, is, a, is a perfect example. Absolutely. Going back I, to your dentistry example, I, I'm just thinking parents around the world are just thrilled with that concept of a 3D model of the teeth. I, I, from past experience, am aware of that mold going over your teeth and having to sit there with, while the foam expands and how uncomfortable it is. And to have a child maybe that is sitting in that seat and just discomforted as it is. Um, just what an amazing way that technology is to advance just these simple procedures with their children to make it more pleasant to go to the dentist. 
because you 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 mentioned um, glucose monitoring, right? Uh, because you, you yeah. know, most people know someone who's diabetic, and I think this is a very this is a very interesting topic for 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 many people. So um, this and this goes with digitalization and artificial in, uh, intelligence. Now we have we have sensors now and, and devices that that are able to collect a huge amount of data. Right? Yeah, think think of heart rate measurement. If you are a, if you are an athlete or a sports fanatic uh, in the old days, uh, I mean like like I am old. So in the old days, I had this breast uh, breast belt and and a, a device here to measure just my heart rate. I was lucky enough; it even had a timer. But basically, this was my uh, my my heart rate measurement device. So nowadays, uh, certain things have changed. So if you if you have like a, a wearable sports watch, you can now measure the heart rate from your wrist. It's not yet perfect, but it works fine. You know, you don't need that belt anymore. But now to, to, to take a step further, so I think uh, currently state-of-the-art, what you effectively can buy on sport watches is you, you, you can measure blood oxygen saturation from the same sensor or from a next development, developed sensor. And you can, even, um, <clears throat> you, you can even do a sort of an ECG, so an electrocardiogram, like a simple one. But it's still good enough to to detect some you know aberrations and 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 estimate that you might be having a heart attack soon, or at least you know something is strange. Better go see a doctor. Best case, it can predict a heart attack and call the authority, uh, call nine one one or someone else. So so this is where we are today, and and it's still all in here. It's not medical grade, but but obviously there's a lot of benefit. The next stage is to, to have continuous glucose measurement or drug monitoring, you know, if, if you use certain of your certain medics. And, and actually that's it's 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 already there. People don't know how to do it. It's it's all about, you know, you have to you have to make it good enough so it's has a certain reliability and uh, and then it, it needs maybe FDA approval, etc. But but this is where it's going and it's staying in here. So that's it's kind of scary, uh, but also really exciting at the same time. And, and this is just possible because of uh, one thing is the photonics. So the sensors become better and better and can, can you know, can uh, resolve your the, whatever data they take uh, better and distinguish. And the other thing is, of course, the whole software side, the algorithm side, artificial intelligence, that then uh, can handle this vast amount of data and read something out of it. And this also is getting better and better. And uh, so what we see, how, how I kind of want to sum it up, is that we see a lot of life science applications, which you know we find in hospitals or, or at, at clinics, are kind of moving also a little bit into lifestyle. Because the, di the, the diabetes patient, of course, for them, I don't need to explain how important glucose monitoring is, right? They will be able to, to dose their, uh, <clears throat> their insulin dose much more accurately. But what we see already today is there are some athletes or food enthusiasts which can monitor the change of their glucose level based on what they eat and use this then again to optimize their diet or their performance if they're an athlete. So it's really there are certain things are even moving to lifestyle, technologies that come out of the life science domain. I think you hit such a great point there that your life science is really all about the lifestyle. A couple of your examples that you gave were just amazing. Thank you for sharing that. How empowering. So, so Stefan, 
let's transition over to you. What are some future goals of our life science products? Uh, we don't uh, produce products itself. We support our customers to develop the next generation devices. For instance, that was uh, John told. Uh, and our goal is to, solve, uh, to support uh, the customers with our filters. And uh, therefore, uh, therefore, we conditionally uh, improve our coating technology, our measurement te technique uh, to produce filters with higher performance to achieve such kind of resolutions uh, to detect uh, 12 or more different blood values with one measurement or whatever. And uh, for that, our filters need, that's what I told before, deeper blocking levels, steeper edges, higher transmittance. Thank you for that. Absolutely. And John, I guess the same question back to you. What are the future goals of our life science products? So I think it's, uh, yeah, on the technical side is what, what Stefan mentioned, right? We are pushing performance. We're trying to stay at the edge of technology for our core competence, which is thin film coding. Uh, but also getting smaller, you know, miniaturization, as I mentioned before, going to wearables or, or uh, point-of-care products, portables, and uh, which at the same time making it smaller usually means making it scalable, so being able to produce more of it uh, as we go direction, maybe sometimes lifestyle, but also making it uh, more cost-effective. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, in closing, I just want to thank you gentlemen today for your time. I certainly sense the passion that you both have in this industry, and I thank you for educating me and our audience with these fascinating, life-altering products. We hope that this episode provided clarity as to what we do here at Materion Optic Spousers, and thank you for your time today. Until next time, explore, inspire, deliver, and repeat. Goodbye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. Be sure to follow Materion on our social media channels, as well as visit our website for more information about our innovative material solutions.